welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. Today, we're going to talk about the U.S. office market. We'll begin with an update from CoStar about the market performance and what to expect moving forward. Then we'll talk to the guys at Seven Oaks and see what's really happening on the ground, including new development. And then we'll talk to Paul Zeman, who sells medical office buildings, and get a look at the investment market there. Well, please welcome Walter Page. He's Director of Research with the CoStar Group. Join us on Skype. Walter, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. We appreciate you being with us here on Skype today. And so, Walter, how did the office market perform in the first quarter, and uh, how does it compare to last year? I would say it's a mixed signals market. Uh, on a sales perspective, it did exceptionally well, but on the, the fundamental side, the uh, we had a slowdown, a significant slowdown. In fact, for the first time since the recession ended, we had less net absorption than we had completions. We had 12 million square feet of net absorption in the first quarter. It was down from 32 million square feet in the fourth quarter of uh, 2014. Now. In some respect, I think that we borrowed uh, from the first quarter to feed the outstanding numbers that happened in the in the end of the year. So we'll see what happens going forward, but that was a definitely a slowdown. Uh, despite that slowdown, the vacancy rates helped constant at 11.3, and we reached a new high in terms of rent growth. Uh, for this part of the recovery. We're at 3.8% on a nationwide basis. Uh, so it's it's a mixed bag, but it's still okay. Well, it's interesting that we had that much uh, rate growth. Uh, and, and was that in A, B, or C, or was there a significant uh, growth in any of the certain areas? So in terms of the rate growth, it was pretty even by um, class of building, although it was significantly stronger in the CBD markets. Uh, San Francisco came in as they have been uh, with double digit rent growth, same with uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, but most of the CBD markets were registering in excess of 5% uh, rent growth, while the suburban markets were registering obviously less. Yeah, that San Francisco market, I mean, that, that place is on fire, isn't it? That's that's right. I was there and I saw a homeless guy and he had two cell phones. <laughs> uh, so so the the real story is still in the central business district. Uh, are you seeing some suburban growth as well? Uh, still, we were, we are still getting good absorption um, coming out of the suburban markets. It's just not the rent growth. Mm -hmm. But the other big trend that we see is this flight to quality. This flight to quality spans all. Um, locations, both CBD, suburban, class, it's really the class A stuff. The class A stuff is generated uh, net absorption rates that are double uh, the rest of the market. So of that 12 million square feet of net absorption, over 8 million square feet was in the class A segment, well over its fair share. Uh, and, and the flight to quality by tenants to the nice space is, is clearly there. It suggests that uh, if you have a weaker property, a lower quality property, if you can improve it, you're going to have a better chance of leasing it up. Right. And is part of that because the economy is improving and, and companies are feeling more confidence? I think it's partly uh, that, but I think it's also as people are squeezed into smaller spaces, it's a lot easier to 
squeeze people into nice space and sell it to your work workers than to uh, squeeze them into not so nice space. So I think that's the general trend there. Well, that's a good point. If I'm going to be squeezed into a closet, I want a class A closet, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what about, uh, you, you mentioned investment sales and, and sales in general. So uh, what type of velocity did you see there in the first quarter and, and, and kind of the end of, of last year? And, and, and what do you, what's the story for cap rates? Okay. So I think this year is going to be the year of the big deal. Big deal. All right. Uh, for office, we had $33 billion uh, trading hand in the first quarter. For all of last year, we had $100 billion. So this is an exceptional first quarter. Now, some of it may have just been a held, holdover from the fourth quarter. Uh, but we have the likes of uh, Blackstone buying parts of GE. Uh, we have uh, other big deals that are in the offing. Um, and so the, the flow of capital and the sales volumes is likely to be very, very strong. In terms of cap rates, uh, the cap rates continue to slightly compress, but not like they were in the, you know, a year ago. Uh, we're still seeing a very wide spread in the cap rate between uh, CBD and suburban markets. Uh, and uh, in fact, the pricing spread based on cap rate, it's like paying a 25% premium for CBD for the income stream that you get off of it. So it is a very significant um, trend there. And what are some sample different cap rates for suburban versus CBD? Uh, so most, many CBDs are coming in at about a 5.5, five, uh, closer to 7 for suburban cap rates. Wow. That is a big difference. So what do you expect, uh, Walter, moving forward in the U.S. for occupancy and rates uh, moving forward in 2015? Are, are we going to see companies continue to, to lease more Class A space? Are we going to have uh, better absorption, better uh, occupancy? Okay, so for um, this year, we expect vacancy rates, which are 11.3 right now, to f- decline to uh, about 11%. So last year they declined 70 basis points. This year we're looking for only 30 basis points of decline. We're looking for rent growth in the, let's say, 3.2 to 3.5% range, which is very similar to what we achieved last year. We're looking for net absorption in the 80 to 90 million square feet number, uh, which is very similar to last year, and about 60 to 70 million square feet of completions. Uh, All in all, pretty good market, um, but clearly the construction pipeline is picking up, and so the rate of recovery in terms of occupancy is slowing. Okay, and we're talking with Walter Page with CoStar about the U.S. office market, and, and Walter, if, if vacancy is 11.3 now, expected to go to 11, how does that compare with historic vacancies for this sector in the U.S.? Where are we today in comparison to historic numbers? Okay, so the long-term average is 11.2. 11.2. So we are right there. Um, and that's the reason why it feels like a normal market right now. If you were out there, you, you can look at the level of construction today. Uh, we're at 108 million square feet. The normal long-term average is 120 million square feet. Uh, the rent growth number that we're talking about in the threes is a little bit above inflation, more than normal for office, uh, which is closer to, let's say, inflation to so two two and a half but we are very much in a normal market 
That's great. So we're starting to see rental rates get to a number in, in many markets uh, that justifies new, new supply? Yes. About a third of the markets justify uh, new construction now. Mm-hmm. Now, those are the markets that have had the greatest rent growth. So at the top of the list is some of the technology markets and energy markets. So San Francisco, San Jose, Houston, um, those are the markets that have the most construction. In contrast, some of the housing bust markets still don't have rents that support new construction. Uh, best examples of that is Orange County, um, Atlanta. To, you know, it's not widespread in terms of construction, and, and the same is true of many of the Florida markets. Okay. Another one of the numbers that you guys track, I think, is interesting, are the repeat sales trends. Uh, what do you see there in the office sector? Okay, so repeat sales trends have actually slowed. Uh, we're seeing about a 4.5% repeat sales uh, rate of increase on a nationwide basis. Uh, that's down from the 7 to 8% range a year earlier. So we're still seeing significant uh, you know, appreciation and things like that, but it is slowing from where it was. So the crush of capital appears to be easing to some extent. Okay. And where do you believe there's some opportunities for investors in the office sector? So some of the best opportunities in my mind are fixing properties. And and some of the largest sales that actually happened over the past quarter involved fixing properties. The best example is Blackstone sold a building uh, for near record pricing in uh, Midtown Bryant Park about $1,800 a square foot. That building was bought by Equity Office when I was at Equity Office for $420 a square foot. Now, then that building was re-skinned and uh, obviously re-tenanted and they have been able to reap big rewards. That's fantastic. Walter, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on Skype with us. Thank you. Stay tuned for more on the office market. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us. One of the 40 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. Please welcome my next guest, Bob Voles and Randy Holmes. They're both principals with Seven Oaks Companies. They do uh, development of office buildings and asset management and property management. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today here in Studio One. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. You know, it was interesting to hear from uh, co-star uh, Walter Page about the investment market. I know you guys are on the on the ground level there of developing properties and, and looking at properties for sale and uh and, and selling assets. What are you guys seeing for demand for uh, uh, higher quality office properties and cap rates out there? Well, I think we would really echo what, mm-hmm. what Walter had to say. I think mm-hmm. the last several years for Atlanta, you've seen some big trades mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, a strong influx of capital. And I think, I think we would also see for the well-located properties uh, in the Atlanta and really in the Southeast, you're definitely seeing cap rates under 6% 
for uh, kind of in-town CBD type properties. Suburban a little bit higher, as Walter said, around the 7%, but you're just seeing a tremendous flow of capital primarily from, you know, really all across the board. You've got the REITs who've been very active. You've got, you know, uh, funds that have been raised, as well as we're starting to see, at least in the Southeast, an influx of international capital, which has been interesting. That's much more recent phenomenon. Yeah. So I guess if you considering selling an office property, this might be a good time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing um, some of the properties that were just picked up two years ago are turning around and selling at sometimes 25% premiums over their last uh, purchase price. Only in America, right? That's right. Isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> well, what about demand moving forward from investors? I mean, you mentioned uh, cities like Atlanta, which uh, I guess from the institutional investor perspective might be considered kind of a secondary market. But uh, are you seeing more interest from those types of buyers uh, be chasing yield and, and coming to cities like Atlanta around the country? Definitely. I think mm-hmm. as a lot of investors view some of the gateway markets, New York, L.A., mm-hmm. San Francisco being priced out, they are looking in uh, markets like Atlanta. And what's been good is the fundamentals are now supporting that. You know, Atlanta was a little slow to recover um, from the recession, but in terms of job growth, Atlanta is now back. And if you look at most of the, the charts, you know, we're one of the you know top 10 cities for job growth. And so I think, you know, these investors are going to stretch to pay a higher dollar uh, if the fundamentals can support it. And so now cities like Atlanta in the southeast really hit that mark. As you're seeing some of these markets um, starting to chase the tech growth, the tech boom at Atlanta, um, aside from uh, all of the other uh, positive benefits, lower cost of living, is that the combination of Georgia Tech, um, our technology companies growing um, here, we're seeing just significant um, influx of capital chasing those kind of deals. So how do you think that will impact cap rates moving forward for the rest of this year and maybe in the next year and beyond? Uh, what do you think cap rates will, will do moving forward? I have a crystal ball here if you want me to pull it up. You <laughs> You're can look a right magic in. eight ball. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think our sense is that, that they're going to remain steady where they are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see, you know, we're heading into an election cycle, and I think mm-hmm. interest rates are probably going to remain – you know, general, they are going to go up at some point, but I mm-hmm. think for the near term, they're going to remain where they are. So I would see, uh, again, primarily due to the amount of capital that is still chasing real estate, I think cap rates are going to remain at the levels, you know, we talked about. So you think the uh, slight rise in interest rates uh, is not going to have a significant impact on the value of these office buildings? I mean, what if a year from now we're 100 basis points higher interest rates? Uh, I mean, it's got to impact cap rates and value somewhat. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the big question mark. Yeah. And again, you sort of balance your, your sound underwriting versus the, the desire to get capital out to buy an asset. But if rates do tick up, uh, it does put pressure on, uh, on the exit. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And so have you guys seen um, the same type of uh, demand increases that uh, CoStar mentioned for your assets? We have, you know, and we're, we're fortunate. And again, it all comes back to the fundamentals, right? Location mm-hmm. and the, the sponsorship uh, of mm-hmm. the of the assets. And so, we're fortunate to have some well located properties mm-hmm. with uh, investor partners who are willing to put capital uh, into to make deals. And uh, we've had a great run the last couple of years uh, of of demand. And you're starting to see in some of the key submarkets around the southeast a real lack of big blocks of vacancy. And that's finally uh, allowing landlords to. Put some upward pressure on on rental rate, which is which has been 
uh, a nice change from the past. Yeah, so what do you say to the aggressive tenant rep who calls you now, who was very aggressive on a deal three or four years ago? Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing, you know, for us is that we're actually seeing new cost of mm-hmm. construction driving um, rental rates for replacement um, somewhere, um, sometimes as much as 10 percent um, higher, 10 or 15 percent higher than existing rental rates. Wow, so there's going to be some shock for some of these companies uh, come renewal time, right? Right. I think so. I think so. Well, it could be interesting, too, for these companies like that have moved up in quality. You know, maybe they've moved from C to B or B to A because of the rental rates were lower. Well, now they may get some little sticker shock, right, when they uh, go to renew. Well, I think you're right, and the, and the challenge, you know, is that there's limited options. And so I think, um, you know, the, the, the advice would be to start early uh, on uh, with these companies as they're, as they're looking to stru- structure their renewal. Okay. And these type of, of rental increases in demand, so it's, it's time to build, right? And you guys are building some spec buildings or have some in the, in the plans, right? Well, we're, we are in the process of pricing um, three different office buildings. One is uh, much closer, but we're, we are actively out um, working with general contractors on, in three different sub-markets in, the, in Atlanta. And we're seeing uh, the, uh, a combination of construction pricing going up significantly. Uh, because of just the cross across various markets, condominiums and other projects, apartments, um, uh, those type developments are driving um, construction pricing higher. And so we're seeing that along with um, just the, the lack of space is pushing rental rates. Um, and because we're going to have to do that in order to achieve the returns that investors are going to want. It is interesting just to add to that the there's an interesting phenomenon going on in Atlanta right now. We have two major professional stadiums being built mm-hmm. uh, for the Falcons and then the Atlanta Braves. And in terms of concrete uh, availability and pricing and labor, it's really put some pressure on that. And then when you combine that to the apartment growth and condos, it's, it's, uh, it has definitely pushed prices higher. And how much higher are they than, say, before pre-recession, these construction costs today? Twenty-five percent. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. No, it's it is remarkable. We built a Class A office building in the suburban core in 2000, the, mm-hmm. one of the last buildings delivered um, in that market for about 185 dollars a foot. And that building today um, is going to cost somewhere around 360 to 370 a foot. Before tenant improvements. It, that's all that's inclusive. All, in, all in, That's okay. all land cost, development yeah. costs, okay. uh, et cetera. Wow. And you're you're seeing rental rates that uh, justify that now? We're having to jump in that market. We're going on a gross rent basis from 31, 32 to 37, 38. Mm -hmm. So almost a 20% jump. And what are tenants saying about these rates for these new buildings? Well, I think that, again, you go back to the availability. And yeah. if you have a, a well-located site uh, where the tenant wants to be, you know, it's all about the ability for a tenant to recruit and retain employees. And um, the, the options are limited. And yeah. so uh, I think it's our job as developers to, you know, educate them uh, early on the process of, of what this is going to look like. Yeah. And luckily, in the markets where you're working, you're seeing a lot of demand from companies that are looking to move into cities like Atlanta. So. So, yeah, so hopefully uh, you'll get all three of those built, and we're looking forward to it. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. 
With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, where we always have fun. Today we're talking about the office market. My guests are Randy Holmes and Bob Voiles. Of course, Bob is here. They're both with Seven Oaks. And we're talking about the office market. And guys, before the break, we were talking about tenant demand and things like that. One of the things that we see happening uh, as we're repping tenants is tenants are wanting to put more people into less space. Uh, then we're also seeing some companies kick back on that a little bit as they're trying to recruit and retain. What are you guys seeing on the ground level of talking to these tenants every day? Are they still trying to put more people in less space? I'd say that um, something that we're seeing around the country is is a strong pressure on occupancy costs. And so as rental rates go up, um, we're also seeing and new construction costs are going up. If you're going to move into a new building, um, the way that the, the tenant solves that problem is by compressing the office space per employee. And the workstation environment gets tighter. Um, you, you still have uh, game rooms or gathering places, collection places, but um, the actual workspace environment is getting much tighter. Um, in some of the suburban markets where we work, uh, conventional buildings that were built 20 years ago that have three per thousand parking, now um, the pressure, the tenant reps want five per thousand parking. So you run that through your model, that's one space per two, or 200 square feet per employee. Wow. So that's going to create some uh, havoc, I guess, for some of these buildings that just don't have the parking and, and sometimes maybe not the, the equipment of the HVAC to handle like more people in smaller spaces, right? That's exactly right. And mm-hmm. so it really favors you know, newer buildings or buildings located to mass transit. Mm-hmm. And so because the costs uh, for those existing buildings to add parking or change their systems, it, it's prohibitive. Right. Now let's talk about some other tenant situations. What type of lease packages are you seeing today? I know we're a little bit more of a uh, maybe a landlord's market or some equilibrium right in the market. It's no longer uh, the tenants, tenants show. What are you seeing for packages on some of your properties? Well, again, you know, every market's different, but yeah. just sort of generally, uh, you're right. Things have mm-hmm. trended more towards the landlord. And, you know, in a healthy market, some rules of thumb of, you know, $5 of TI per each year of lease term or a month mm-hmm. of free rent per each year of lease term, mm-hmm. you know, we're actually starting to do better than that uh, mm-hmm. in some markets, which is great. Um, better on the landlord side. Better on the, yes, excuse me, <laughs> better on the landlord side. <laughs> <laughs> Landlords are back. And so believe me, uh, seven years ago, those packages were a lot different. So. You know, we are seeing some improvement on that, and, and certainly in some of our southeastern markets, you're definitely seeing rents well north of 30 bucks a foot now, yeah, which yeah. Uh, is great. As you're saying, landlords are back. I thought you were going to do the Snoopy dance there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what's some tough times that uh, landlords went through Absolutely. in the office market? Well, what about uh, lease clauses? You know, what are tenants seemingly very concerned about today as they're expanding in lease and space? I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, their ability to add density in terms of their population. Mm-hmm. And so we spend a lot of time talking about parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and landlords can get creative with sort of some, you know, overselling parking and trying to play the float game uh, with that. And so you spend a lot of time talking about parking. You also talk a lot about TI packages. You know, even though the economy has picked up and a lot more of our tenants are in better uh, cash flow position, no one wants to come out of pocket 
for um, their to build out their space. And so they're looking for a lot more flexibility um, in how TI dollars can be used. And, and, and another factor is coast co-tenancy issues because um, whereas in the downturn landlords might have brought in a you know a private uh, for-profit university tenant or someone a dense call center into a conventional office building now you have um, more conventional financial service tenants and other folks who don't want to be next to what we call the tank top and flip-flop crowd <laughs> so um, you know so they were right that into their leases we're seeing that in a new project that we're getting underway right what about tenant build out uh, with TI dollars and the type of build outs you see I know we just kind of walked through our space here and you know we have the game room with a pool table <laughs> and dartboard where we price our listings right? <laughs> uh, kind of the coffee shop type of, of setup uh, are you seeing uh, more of that type of build out in your building we really are, and it always scares you a little bit because it reminds me back of the dot-com <laughs> era. And it was, We're all it just was, playing. Our, our rule of thumb was, you know, foosball table, they're going out of business, right? So, so I'm glad you got a ping-pong table, Mike. Yeah, but the, yeah. uh, definitely a lot more communal space, yeah. uh, a lot more open. It seems like today's workers, and certainly the millennial crowd, wants to have a, 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 a communal kind of fun space, and they just work differently than people have. And, in, in, you know, sitting in a private office doesn't really appeal to a lot of, a lot of people anymore. Yeah, we're doing an urban project here um, uh, where Gensler, who we chose to do the base building and also doing the interiors for us, their recommendation is to basically turn the building lobby into a coffee shop kind of open space area for oriented towards tech, technology-oriented uh, type firms. And um, it's a very different, we call it not your father's office building. <laughs> I mean, or not even your grandfather's. So it, uh, uh, it is, you know, we're changing the way we think about tenants in the, that workspace. Well, I like that. So then I could just hang out in the lobby all day and never go upstairs to see my boss, right? <laughs> there you go. I'm down here, sir. I'm, I'm doing a good job. I'm shaking that bush, boss. <laughs> well, hey, but you are the boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the office market. And stay tuned. Uh, join us next week and the week after. We have some great shows coming up, including a show on lease versus purchase analysis. Be sure to catch a show of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. My guests are Bob Voles and Randy Holmes. They're both with Seven Oaks. And guys, you guys have developed standalone office buildings. You've been involved in mixed-use projects. And I think you know tenants uh, like the idea of mixed-use, but I know they're more involved project. Tell us some of the differences involved in owning, managing, and developing a office property in a mixed-use development versus a standalone project. Maybe just starting off on the first first step is that one of the most difficult things with mixed use is getting financing for them um, because most conventional lenders are always they're, they're specialists in particular areas and for example we did a um, large 700,000 square foot project in one of the major southeast cities in a downtown market and we were required by the jurisdiction to put 20,000 feet of retail around the base the tenant or the, I'm sorry the investor 
gave us no credit for any of that space, even though once it leased up, it leased up at about 10 bucks a foot higher than the office tenants up above it. So you need to you need to get the investors and the lending markets over the hurdle of having different uses within the same project. And that also is reflected too when you're you're selling that project, uh, you know, maybe five years down the road, right? Because some investors are like, oh, I'm on office. I don't want office retail and whatever else, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, the, the counter to that, though, yeah. is because of these mixed-use environments, generally those will command higher rates. And so it, uh, it, you know, it, it, it could be a more attractive investment, but it is a little bit out of their sweet spot. Right. So financing it. But leasing it, uh, mixed-use, easier? Typically so. I mean, again, it all comes back to location. But again, we're finding today's tenant wants a, 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 an authentic walkable uh, environment and with a mix of uses. And so, you know, if you were to compare a mixed use project with a standalone office building, you know, our experience is the the mixed use is going to win. One of your biggest problems out in the far suburbs of some of these southeastern cities in particular has been that the buildings that were developed 20, 30 years ago within forest areas are um, commanding much lower rents than older buildings that have been redeveloped um, within city and urban cores because the new millennial workforce that everybody's talking about these days wants to be in the environment that Randy just mentioned and not out in a in a in a greenfield environment out in the suburbs. So how are you attracting new tenants today to your projects? What's what's bringing them in? Well, in most of the markets we deal with, uh, the, the companies are represented by a tenant rep broker. So we spend a lot of time with those folks, um, you know, educating them about our project. But, you know, and you, your company has been terrific at this with social media uh, mm-hmm. is, you know, we're using other means now with Facebook pages, with Twitter, just, you know, other ways to get out not only to the tenant reps, but to the end users them, themselves. And uh, so it's really all about hustle and awareness. And that's what we, we try to do. Also, a little bit of selling um, lifestyle and work style over the strict dynamic of the office market. I mean, we're the new marketing center that we're putting together, for example, for an urban project that's going to have a different feel to it, more of a, um, a for aiming at technology um, folks. Um, has we're, we're going to be using materials and everything that that focus on the neighborhood over than just the office itself. Are your new projects all going to be lead? And what level of lead if they are? Yes, they are. And, you know, and they'll be lead certified. You know, Mm -hmm. it's we'll definitely explore the higher levels of lead. And, and, you know, that whole um, movement is not going away and we Mm -hmm. support it. You know, sometimes the, the, the cost incremental to go much higher levels of lead versus the economic return, you got to weigh that. And right. you're not always going to get paid for uh, going to the highest level of lead. But right. you got to get lead certified. It's, it's a gating issue, for really, for any new building and, and, and most of the, the tenants we're talking to. Yeah. yeah, it seems to make a lot of sense. And you talked about the renewal rate shock that some tenants are, are going to have when they go to renew their rates. And sometimes that we'll see it in tenants in general. They go out and look at the market and they say, really? Rents are really that high? And they don't realize it. What are some ways that you're able to achieve renewals with existing tenants when you're, you're having to raise the rents? You have to get closer to market at least. What are you doing to, to help to secure these renewals? 
But it's all about, you know, the relationship you have with your tenant and starting early. Uh, you know, we love to renew and grow our tenants. That's the best best way to do business. And so trying to avoid that shock that you um, outlined is, is it's a process. And, you know, I think, again, it goes back to talking to the tenant reps, you know, the, the groups that they're working with to make sure everybody's aware and uh, just educate them on the facts. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy, though. Yeah. What about technology? What are you guys doing new and different in technology today? You mentioned social media. Is there any technology in these newer buildings um, and new buildings that you're planning that uh, that we might see soon? Probably. I mean, one of the easiest things is cell phone and, and um, wireless technology, providing that throughout the building, um, mm-hmm. where historically we haven't done that. Um, in, in the parks that we manage today, We've got a, um, a free uh, Wi-Fi system operating through the park that's easily accessible for folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one area. Yeah, and I would say in terms of, um, you know, sort of behind the scenes, you know, the technology related to like our HVAC systems, you know, we mm-hmm. talked earlier about the pressure on heavier occupancy loads. Mm-hmm. You know, some of, there's been some good advance uh, advances in HVAC equipment uh, with technology of, of management uh, monitoring systems to allow landlords to have more flexibility on the those services they can provide. Yeah, and you guys have done a good job in uh, management, and we've sent you some business, and we appreciate the good work you've done there, and uh, we appreciate you being in Studio One and joining us on the Commercial Real Estate Show today. Thank you. Great, thank, thank you. you. Well, stay tuned. We're going to look at the medical office market and check out cap rates in the future there. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the U.S. office market. We have a special guest now to talk about medical office buildings. It's Paul Zeman. Paul's a partner with Bull Realty. He's also president of Medical Office Building Investments. Paul, thanks for joining us in Studio One today. Good morning. Love being here. We appreciate it, Paul. And tell us about cap rates on medical office buildings. I know it can be a little different than than regular office buildings, right? You know, it is. Um, typically, cap rates for medical Medical office are slightly higher than general office, and I attribute that to the fact that uh, it's a little bit tougher to retenant a medical office building, and typically the the TI is a little greater. Uh, but on a national basis, right now, we're uh, for transactions above five million dollars, uh, 7.0 is the the industry average that I'm seeing for medical office, and about six seven. Um, average for uh, for office. Yeah, well, it's interesting because office and medical office, I guess the difference is uh, it's the same thing. It's medical office just has a lot more moving parts, a lot more difficult. I, I tell people right? that uh, medical <laughs> office is just like office. It's just a lot more complicated. <laughs> right, so. right. And what about uh, sales volume, Paul? It seems like the medical office bar uh, business is a lot smaller than, than normal office. You know, it is. For the trailing 12 months uh, for for you know, regular office, we've seen about $130 billion of transactions, and in medical office, about $10 billion. Uh, but 2014 finished out a little over $8 billion, which, uh, which was a new record by a pretty wide margin 
first quarter is off to a, a phenomenal start because typically the first quarter is the slowest. We're at 2.7 billion already in 2015, which is like off the charts. Yeah, well, it's interesting how much smaller that that market is, and uh, I guess it makes it more difficult to uh, to work, and there's less less product to deal with. What about your forecast moving forward? I know you have you author a very popular newsletter on the medical office building market, and you do some projections there, which people like to see. I know uh, you have a crystal ball, right? You can tell us what to expect moving forward on cap rates. Uh, I wish I had the crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I would say that you know we might see a little more cap rate compression um, and I would mainly attribute that to the fact that the capital raises amongst the institutional buyers is far exceeding uh, the sales transactions or the sales volumes that we're seeing. For example, last year uh, some investors uh, or the institutional investors raised about 16 billion uh, to purchase medical office buildings with and we traded about 8 billion. So there's a lot of cash out there that's needing to be deployed. And that's obviously going to compress cap rates just a little. All right. So if you own a medical office building, uh, if everything else is equal, might be a good time to, to sell with all this all this demand and, and also the really low interest rates. But I guess a lot of the buyers in the world you're dealing with are, are really paying cash. They're, they're not really getting an acquisition loan, are they? No, the overwhelming majority of the buyers that, that I transact with are, are all cash. Mm-hmm. I love those no finance contingency offers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of them will put debt on the property later, and, and that's fine. But for ease of transaction, all cash is uh, is a luxury. Can you share a quick tip with us for people who own medical office buildings and might be considering selling them? You know, I, I, would, I would say that even the best properties don't bring top dollar unless they're properly introduced to the market and each building can be a little different so we try to put together a different type of business plan or different situation for for each property that we analyze and that we look at quick tip for a buyer uh, you know I, I would say to uh, utilize some feet on the street knowledge uh, I, I've seen some some very capable buyers buy some buildings where I knew all along the tenants were moving uh, but they didn't, so it's good to get some feet on the, feet on the street knowledge uh, in the market where you're where you're buying. Some well, good tips, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. We All appreciate right. you being here, thanks Studio for, One. Thanks for having me. And uh, stay tuned, and be sure you see us next week. We're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. That's really been a changing market, probably the last sector to recover. Don't miss it. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. FIU, Florida International University. Earn your master's in real estate in as little as 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.